Hey everybody, welcome to Tulsa Music Stream. This is episode 59. 59. Wow. Isn't that amazing? One away from big goal six zero. Well, you know. It's so awesome. Anyway, we are the Tulsa Music Stream. Um, If you can, please share this uh, show, this event, um, on your pages, on your favorite groups, and your favorite or your personal pages and maybe tag a bunch of your friends that always works out <coughs> we're also on youtube twitter and twitch and you can always hit subscribe on our youtube channel and you can hit um, the notification bell on that guy and as well as hit the notifications for our facebook stream right here my name is scott this is nine and that's Jana right over there yep welcome to tulsa music stream this is episode 59 we already have chuck wright waiting in the wings for us before we bring him on, uh, we're going to play the trailer um, for his amazing new solo album that just came out on May 20th under Cleopatra Records. Um, <clears throat> you'll notice when we put Chuck Wright up on the screen, the box above him is going to say Chuck Wright, formerly of Quiet Riot. But my goal for the evening is to make sure everyone watching this understands what a successful and accomplished solo artist Chuck is and that he's so much more than just a member of Quiet Riot. His abilities as a songwriter and a player far exceed that of what you might hear traditional baseline wise on the Quiet Riot material. And you're going to know that the more you uh, check out his solo material. We're going to get all into that. But before I bring Chuck on, you guys check out this trailer for his new album called Sheltering Sky. Amazing stuff.
That is incredible stuff, Chuck. And I've got Chuck on screen with us now. How are you doing, sir? Good. I, I hope that trailer had audio because I didn't have any on this it, side. It did. Oh, it did. It yeah, oh, good. it did on, on our side yeah. and the viewer's good, good, side. Good. I, I was a little concerned that you probably wouldn't be able to hear it on your side, but it definitely did have audio going oh, out yeah. to the viewers. It loses um, a little punch. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. Hey, thank you so much for the introduction. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Hey, sure. man, it's our pleasure. Thank you for agreeing to come on with us. We're going to get into Quiet Riot stuff later on, but we're going to spend the first part of this interview talking about the here and now and uh, just giving you uh, accolades for being a, an artist that is still relevant to this day. Uh, you do have an amazing history. But let's talk a little bit about this album that just came out on May 20th. And again, let me put the album cover up so people can see it. Uh, this is called Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. And for those of you who maybe don't know much about this album yet, it features over 40 guest performers. And we're talking cream of the crop talent that has joined Chuck on this album. Members of Mr. Big, Skid Row, Tesla, Dream Theater, Great White, Asia, Jefferson Starship and more so laying out the the uh, groundwork to the album like that I want you to tell us a little bit about creating this album and and the process of uh, putting this many different artists together how you were able to select who was going to be on what track just tell us how this all came together well um actually I never planned on making a solo record um the the fact is the pandemic hit us and um, before that, I was doing weekend flyouts um, with Quiet Riot every weekend, pretty much. And then I run a, an event in Hollywood at the legendary Whiskey of Go-Go called Ultimate Jam Night, where I coordinate 45 to as many as 100 uh, professional musicians in a themed show, which takes a lot. It's like herding cats, really. So um, uh, basically, I had the time, and I just I was looking around at the world. It felt uh, post-apocalyptic with all the empty cities and things. And I, and I sat down and wrote my first piece, which is called Weight of Silence. And it was just me playing playing all the instruments and I filmed it. And um, and I, I edited in um, images of drone footage of all, the, you know, like New York, Rome, Las Vegas, all these usually bustling societies with nobody. And I had one character in the video that was in a hazmat suit, like he's the last man on earth and an empty subway train that went through through it. Um, so I put that up myself before I had any kind of record deal or anything. And um, Troy Lucetta, who you might know from Tesla, yes. um, who's a fantastic drummer. I, I happened to work with him for a, a Ronnie Montrose um, Remembrance show. And I also know of his work when he was playing with Keith Emerson. So I know he's a really well-rounded musician. And But he, you know, he reached out to me and said, hey, man, I heard your song. It's really great. I think it would sound really good with drums on it. I honestly, I never thought about that. So um, I said, you know what? Yeah, he's got a studio. So I sent him some tracks and he played to it and I had him film himself. <clears throat> and at the same time, one of my favorite guitar players in LA, his name is Alan Hines, who's a, a well-known um, jazz fusion guitar player, threw some soloing on it that I edited together. And then I reached out to um, Derek Sherinian, who's a friend of mine uh, from, you know, from Dream Theater and, yes. and, um, a, a ton of things he's 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 a very busy musician he has a lot of great solo records um i asked him i go hey would you how do you feel about throwing some mellotron and uh synthesizers on it so he did that and then i re-edited in um alan and and troy into the video yeah. and i put that out as a thing and um 
to my surprise, just a few days before my record came out, um, that video and song won Best Instrumental and Best Video on the Rock Music Alliance Awards. I didn't even know I was nominated. Wow. And it was up against Joe Satriani and John wow. Five and others, other great artists that I hold in high regard. Um, as I said earlier, I, I never intend on, on doing a solo record. So I was just writing music um, during this time for me. And I was thinking about, ah, who would dig this, you know? And I would I would call him up and say, hey, check this track out. Or I just sent it to him. Say, check this out. What do you think? Would you would you be into doing something on it? And mm -hmm. and every single one of them said, this is killer. I'd love to play something on it or sing or whatever it was I was talking to them about. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how it happened. I got up to about five songs complete. And I, I did a, um, a video for the track Army of Me, which is uh, my interpretation of a Bjork song uh, that she was a big hit for her in 1995 right. and that came about because i came across some tracks that i did um a few years ago i used to go to the studio all the time up at my late friend pat torpy from mr big's place with lanny cordola uh, my friend um who i've done he was in house of lords with me but we've done tons of projects and albums together and seven film scores and and we would get together and just to jam and write right. we did we Pat goes, oh, I really dig that uh, Levy Breaks drum thing from Bjork, you know, that Army of Me song. So we just started jamming on it oh, wow. and recording it. I, I'm not even playing the same exact bass part that's on her song. I just did it from memory. Sure. And I found these tracks and two other tracks that are on my album from that that time that I just thought were too good to just let disappear into the ethos of you, you, never you been heard. So. You mentioned the the pandemic and you and you did a lot of the writing for yourself and it's, it's so it seems like so many musicians kind of did that and were able to do cool things like collaborate with guys they never really got to right. play with because you know through the files and of course everybody nobody could play live concerts at one point so there were so many cool videos out there of guys collaborating from their own homes and put into a you know one cool video a lot of a lot of good things came out of a a, a bad thing Definitely. So. a lot of a lot of zoom jams uh on uh, were put out there for sure yeah um i just when i started i did it myself i just wrote this piece and then i started uh bringing in people i mean i wasn't even thinking about that until troy reached out to me and then i started developing songs with that in mind and go hey i wonder if so and so would want to play it or i want some funky clavinet i'd con contact somebody that's kind of how it all came together. That's cool. Anyway, I got the five tunes together in the video, which has uh, 3D animation. I worked with my friend Drew Lanius on that. And um, I, I shopped around and I went to uh, Brian Pereira at Cleopatra and he, he dug it and signed it. So I was able to finish the rest of the songs that I'd started. And and uh, now finally it's out. You know, I started it when the pandemic hit us and now here we are. It sounds killer, man. Yeah, it's it sounds great. Very, very cool. And I actually I put up a, a graphic here of the this. I, I believe this was the second single. Correct me if I'm wrong. The second single that came That's out the from the album, "Throwing Stones." And I love I love what someone wrote. They they said it, it's like Primus meets Stevie Wonder, and I think that is really quite accurate. Um, I think so too. It kind of surprised me, but you're right. It, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I'll be honest, Chuck, I didn't know you could get funky like that until I until well, I saw that opening riff is like, holy Moses, this guy is amazing. And what a great groove. And it's just uh, man, it's just a fantastic song. Thank you. You know, that song, um, the backstory a little bit on that. Um, I, it was one of the tracks that I was telling you about earlier that I did with Pat and Lanny that we wrote together. And I sent it to Joe Retta, who's a good friend of mine. I was in heaven and earth with him. 
And um, he just said, yeah, I'll do something. And I know he could sing soulful, yeah. but I had no idea he was going to crush it like that. But he came up with the, the uh, lyric and the vocal melody on it. And the lyric is an anti-war song right. uh, lyric. And it was written before the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's just wow. sad serendipity that it happened now. And so I, when I went to pick a second single, I went for that um, because of the energy because it's timely and I get to show off a little bit on the bass. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, it's in my solo, so why not? And um, and I really, when in making the video, I wanted to kind of have it reflect what's going on over there. And and so there's some elements of that in it. Um, as you'll see, I'm, I don't know if it's on YouTube, you can see it, yeah. the Throwing Stones video. But that's how that's that's kind of how that song came together. Now, with with you, the departure of Quiet Riot, and you, you know, so many different musicians, you know, it, was it something that you were getting a lot of calls to actually join like full bands that are that were already kind of out there or was it just well, something there's, a, that... there's a couple of things that have come up but i i really um wasn't into that I, I don't know you didn't mention i know you guys have talked about quiet riot but i think people need to have a look at all the other things that i've done in my career as far as working with alice cooper greg allman ted nugent on and on and on all these different people but and but most people like to they think about quiet right the most because you know I was in the band for 26 years. Right. Um, I did start doing um, a thing called the Legends of Classic Rock with uh, Greg D'Angelo, who's the founding member of White Lion, mm -hmm. yeah. and Terry Luce, who's a singer that uh, was in uh, Great White for like 12 years or so, and Kevin Jones, who played with Randy Rhodes and uh, Ozzy, a keyboard player, and um, I was out with them for like five weeks. We're going to go back out to Europe. Uh, but that's basically we just do songs from our from our bands that we've been in and it's basically just oh, a fun thing that's cool um yeah and also on the on my plate coming up um i was approached by frontiers about doing a project called sahara mm. uh, with cool. uh, my past drummer uh, ken mary from house of lords who's actually on my album and he actually mixed one of the songs on the album and um jimmy bell who's a guitar player in the current house of lords so it's kind of old school House of Lords guys and a new school House of Lords guys doing an album together. And the material they sent me is killer. So I agreed. I said, yeah, man, I really love the music. I'll do it. I'll play bass on it. Sure. So there's always things going on. Yeah. Uh, but right now, the most important thing for me is with people like you coming in and, and being able to share this music, because for me, this is this album is my legacy and not something I did in 1983. You talk about all the people that you play with. You look great. You look like you were our age in 1982, like 11. 11. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I owe that to the fact that I never abused things like a lot of my friends did, unfortunately. Yeah, like the Kevin, lifestyle. Janie Lane, people like that. Sure. There were friends of mine that are no longer with us anymore. Sure. Uh, everything in moderation as far as I'm concerned. Well, most, almost everything. Sure. And uh, then you get to an age where you realize you've survived it and you're like... You know, I kind of, I, I did it and I made it through it all and I'm good now. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think I've been at this for 40 years, something like that. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. My first, when I first started playing with Dubro, uh, which became the Metal Health record, right. that was 1981. Right. And um, before that, in the late 70s, I had a prog band. There you go. I had a prog band. Wow. Um, that was playing, packing everywhere we played, but that kind of music really wasn't in even though we packed it out we were the first band in rock and roll history to have a laser show we knew the guy that developed the technology up at pasadena tech here so people were coming out for that they're coming out for the music and we handed out comic books of the lyrics and it was a total experience with that band and at the same time i was playing with dubrow that got the 
the record deal and did the uh, mental health record. Yeah, you were kind of like a bridge between the two quiet riots, you know? Well, um, yeah, exactly. And you something I always like to point out and about the two quiet, they said the two quiet riots, exactly it. There's the Randy Rose era quiet riot, right. and then there's the mental health quiet riot. Right. And the band, uh, when we did the demos and everything, the, the, the label president, who also was the producer, wanted to call the band. He said, listen, I have two names I want to call you guys. He didn't want to call it Quiet Riot. It wasn't supposed to be Quiet Riot. Um, he, he suggested he wanted to call the band Wild Oscar hmm. or, or Standing Hampton. And they both mean the same thing. It's an English term. Anyway, um, so Kevin goes, no way. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. We're going to call it Quiet Riot again. So that's how that happened. So wow. the misnomer is people go, oh, nobody's original. Well, original Randy Rhodes era Quiet Riot or Mental Health era? Well, they riot. say that the, the 70s Quiet Riot, the Randy Rhodes was a, a lot glamier. Well, it was more glam and it was like lighter. sweet and kind of, you know, stuff. It, it, you know, really, and the musically, exactly. That's another point. It's way different. The only thread really is Kevin's vocal. Exactly. You know, and he actually sang way tougher. And then Rudy Sarzo later, but yeah. yeah but Rudy, you were the bridge. Rudy was not, he was only in pictures. He never was on those records. Right. He right. just was like, you know, kind of, he just kind of came in right when the band was over. And then he was able to go, uh, Randy pulled him into playing with Ozzy. And that's how I got in the band. Is um, yeah, Rudy actually sat there and showed me how to play some of the songs. I remember that. Oh wow! Did you uh, have a chance to see that new the new documentary of uh, on Randy? No, I haven't seen it yet. I you know I it's not really endorsed by the family, so I haven't really really uh, checked it out yet. I probably should. Um, you should if you want to see something about Quiet Riot, watch the what. Well, now you're here. There's no way back. We've watched it about five times. Yeah. So so that was on. Amazon. The story goes, yeah. Showtime said we'll give you two weeks, and it was on for two years because it was it was, oh, it was killer. It was I had you know what I thought it was going to be like a home movie. We had cameras out with us for like a year and a half or more, just filming everything, and I ended up being a part of the comedy relief in the video just by virtue of the editing. Um, people, you know, I, I get a good laugh at myself at a couple times. <laughs> were you were you pleased with how that came out? Because I, I that was definitely I was, something I wanted to ask you about tonight. Was uh, I mean, it's a very telling documentary. It's it's very revealing. Quite honestly, I'm not just saying this because you're the guy we're talking to tonight. But I thought you were one of the more lovable characters. I don't I don't mean character. You're your real self, but in the movie because you seemed so down to earth, and I think you were one of the glues that kind of held things together but that must have been such a such a difficult period for you guys i'm just wondering if you were pleased with how that turned out actually like i said i was shocked i thought it was going to be like a home movie yeah. <laughs> you know i had no idea that editor was brilliant uh that that worked on that movie and uh and it really was a difficult time for us trying to find somebody to replace kevin which he's a larger than life to me replacing kevin was like replacing steven tyler sure. or, or replacing oh there i am in 1980 what was that two um <laughs> i'm old where's my rocket <laughs> anyway, looks, like looks like a p base there actually it was a hybrid of a couple things okay um but any, i forgot even what i was where i was going with uh, just it. if you were pleased with the how the doctor oh, yeah i was out. i was really actually very pleased with it and and uh i thought the film had a lot of heart um and as I said, trying to replace Kevin is like replacing Mick Jagger, you know. Sure. And uh, we tried. We I think we've had six different singers. Yeah. You know, and and Jizzy, who's with the band, um, is probably the best choice. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he's with the band now. Um, and uh, his name first came up in the beginning, but Frankie really didn't want anybody that had been in so many bands. And um, even though he was suggested, so we tried some new fresh faces. There we go. That was at the Pee Wee Herman uh, release party. I remember that picture. Oh, wow. Of I remember because of the bow tie. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, we were pretty tight back then. You know, uh, you were you were in the band, you know, both during the time, well, I mean, of course, the Quiet Riot, you were in the recording sessions, but you were sort of uh, Kevin's go-to guy. Is that correct? Were, were you? Yeah, more, he, he always said I was his, I mean, he was, I've heard it from other people that he said this, but he said to me that I was his favorite bass player that he's worked with. Wow. And the lineup, the last lineup we had, he said was his favorite lineup. So that's you, part of why we continue. Yeah. On. You know, you talked about the movie and how hard it would was to replace him, but you know, take me back that time when, you know, after quiet riot three, you guys decided to move on without him. I guess you left him in a hotel or something like that. And what was that was really, um, outside forces, the record label, and the management and because kevin was pretty unmanageable in general and people think that fame changed him and he became this pompous whatever and he, he was, was loud like <laughs> you heard you know the mouth the roared you've heard that yeah. all right but i worked with him before he was famous he was like that before right he's just a really he's like a howard stern personality right he's just bigger than life type of personality that's the way he is super opinionated and he 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 knows what he likes and he and uh and that's that's the way he was so that was a, that was an issue that's a thing that happened and for me once we tried to work without kevin there then it just didn't feel right to me and i i could see the respect level even though the label wanted us to change um as soon as we didn't have kevin there like pushing their button going no you're not doing this we're going to do this as soon as we didn't have him there um we kind of it, we we just it wasn't happening. It was like we were not being treated the way we should be for a band that sold ten million records. Right. Actually, it was thirteen million at that point total, and we we're being treated like we were some you know new band or whatever. It was it's kind okay. of so I left. You know that's when yeah. I, I I bailed out. I got my parachute on and said I'm out of here. <laughs> now, did you leave before before the Kevin Kevin thing, or were you or were you were you with those guys? No, I was you... there the the day that that uh, we left them in Hawaii. Although I stayed in Hawaii. I mean, that was our, we just got through playing uh, Japan, Alaska, and then we ended up in Hawaii. And then, he, you know, that's, he knew he was out at that point because he confronted us in Japan about it. And we tried to explain, hey, look, everybody, the label, everybody didn't want to do anything with us unless we get somebody fresh in here, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it was his band. And at that point, Frankie really didn't. I mean, Frankie really became a force when he took over the band again, you know, that when we came back, even when, when we came back with Kevin, uh, Frankie, I mean, Kevin brought him on as the manager and everything. And, and he really wore that hat. Well, let me ask you this. There, there's a, it's, it's a hilarious segment in the 2014 documentary where it goes through this very rapid timeline of member. Yeah, changes that's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> So what to what do you attribute the high turnover level in Quiet Riot? Was it one personality? Was it two personalities? Was it just people uh, feeling like the the ride was coming to an end? What do you think was the main cause for all the turnover in that band? Well, I don't really I I think each each situation 
is different. Right. Uh, for me, each situation, sometime I left because I wanted to leave, like I just told you. Yeah. And sometimes it was because they want they wanted to bring Rudy back or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so each situation is different. I don't think there's one thing you could you could uh, point out as the reason, like like one personality that's difficult or anything. I just think it's an unusual those two guys, you know, um, it's it's uh, you got to be on your game, you know, um, do you think that. Do you think that if now I'm going to tell you I'm a bass player, but I'm a Randy Rhodes fanatic. So, do you think if Randy Rhodes would have not gotten to a plane crash, Rudy Sarzo would have stayed with Ozzy and Randy, and you would have been on that first uh, all the songs in that first album and on that tour, and and you know had it had one thing gone differently? Well, yeah, my it, they, who knows? I mean, maybe. The whole thing with Randy being in the in the forefront of everybody, and then the band coming out of Quiet Riot again, and maybe that lifted it up. I really think what made Quiet Riot successful was "Come On Feel the Noise." Oh, of course, yes. I think that that song broke it open for everybody. Um, I think that that changed the fabric of the whole music business at that time from new wave. And you, I've heard you say they tried to play it as bad as possible because they well, didn't want to do it. That's that's you know whatever they're just saying that, but. Um, <laughs> Kevin did not want to do it. There's no doubt about it. I argued with him, with the producer. Um, I said, we don't have a CHR hit song, you know, contemporary hit song. I don't hear a pop song. I go, let's give this a song. At least it's, I go, I try to appeal to what I knew he liked. And I said, imagine it like Queen with stacked vocals and this and that. So, you know, that's where I kind of went with it when I was there arguing about doing that song or not sure. doing that song. I kind of sided with the producer, not Kevin. Because I I was a realist about the situation with that album. I mean that kind of music was not, you know, in at all. Right. You know, bang your head as good as it is. It only went so far, and then sure. they re-released that song a second time after "Come On, Feel the Noise" uh, broke open the doors for everything. You know. Do you mind taking a viewer question? We've got a viewer question for you in the, in our chat room. Well, it depends on what it is, but go ahead. Okay. Well, let's get. I think this one's not too bad. Uh, that this is from our friend Rick Mill Mill. He says, uh, when you became a member of Quiet Riot, what was your favorite moment while with the band? My highlight? Um, it's hard to, I mean, there was so many ups and downs with, with Quiet Riot. Um, I think, I have a picture of it too, um, that's on my Facebook page. I have a shot I took of Kevin when we, when we came back and we were stronger than ever, mm -hmm. right? It was like one of the shows right before he passed away. And he's at the end of the stage and we're playing Sweden rock and there's 55,000 people. And we haven't ever played over there before uh, for that, for that, that particular festival. And he just turned around and he had this, you know, grin on us. he goes, nah, this is what I'm talking about everybody. Wow. And that was a really good, a really good moment that I remember. Cool. And it was but his last hurrah, so to speak. Cause after that, we just did a couple smaller gigs, but that was kind of like Kevin's last hurrah. So that stuck with me. That's awesome. Um, as a highlight for the whole thing. I mean, we I was, were really I good was friends. There, obviously. Rocklahoma and um that Oh yeah. At Rocklahoma was just fantastic yes. and Thank everyone you. was on top of their game. That the the mood was perfect, the yep. lighting yeah. was perfect. Um just everything about that show and and you know, I was backstage and I I, I got to see um all of you guys um hung out with Frankie a lot that day. Right. And, you know, got to see Kevin walk up onto the stage. And I remember telling him, 
have a kick-ass show, and he just kind of looked at me like, who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's, that sounds like him. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better front man. That's Somebody right. that, oh, sure. That, he was the king of talking to the crowd, and he was so funny, and it, he'd always try to do something during the show to make Frankie laugh, and um, always, like, pull his pants down or whatever. He would do something. Yeah. There would always be some kind of moment. Um it was a real special time. And I remember that show really well. Um, uh, the Rockahoma, that was a huge audience too. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. It's quite the thing here now. Were you asked to play bass for condition critical? Actually, I was in the studio. They wanted the same vocal sound. So they had me come in and sing, um, you know, on every track. Um, on the album and I ended up actually yes I ended up cutting a, a song called Born to Rock which is on that album mm-hmm. I don't know what the circumstances were but they go hey could you play bass on this song I was sure you know I didn't know it was going to be the record or what they wanted it for it was just one of those things I was there and I said why not so right let's switch gears for a minute I want you to tell us how this ultimate jam night that you host oh. on Tuesdays at the Whiskey A Go Go how did that come together and you've been doing that for quite some time is that correct yeah, uh, actually, Ultimate Jam Night as a brand started in 2015. Wow. Um, there was this little, very small little little bar that some friends of mine, uh, James Lomenzo, who you might know, and Kenny Aronoff, yeah. had a little jam thing going. And I would go there, and they really weren't, it, it would be the same stuff all, all the time. And they went on the road, and they asked me to take it over. So I did it my own way, and I brought in like 30 guys, jammed. And it became like this huge thing. And then that, that place went out of business. They closed. The guy was sold it or whatever. Uh, in fact, it's near me. It's a, now it's a burger place. But um, so people kept coming up to me going, you know, I, you should do that jam thing again. It was so great. It was such a great place, a great thing. And at the time in L.A., in Hollywood, DJs were kind of taking over, you know. Right. And DJs can't jam, obviously. So <laughs> anyway, uh, um, I went to this one venue in Hollywood and um, that actually was a park bowling alley and they had a killer stage and I went there two Wednesdays in a row and they had like less than 20 people there. So I said, okay, that's a good night. I'm going to, and it's the middle of the week when guys, if they're weekend warriors, like I was on the road, they'd be home during the week. I presented it to them. They said, okay, we'll give you uh, we'll give you a couple weeks to prove yourself. After the, the first show, we had almost 400 people wow. and okay, you're going to, we're going to do it. So we were there uh, 55 weeks and they decided to take it themselves after I built their business up. They kicked us to the curb and took it over. And then I went to a Mikey over at the whiskey, a go-go legendary place. And he told me that he didn't think that the residencies have never worked at the whiskey, a go-go, but he would give me a chance. And uh, we've been there ever since Wow! And we took off for the pandemic, but we're into our fifth or sixth year already. And we were doing it every week. And I'm talking between 45, as many as 100 musicians, professional musicians, wow. doing a different theme each week. I mean, we actually did the complete Rocky Horror Picture Show in costume, top to bottom. We did Spinal <laughs> Tap in costume, wow. the whole thing. I mean, we we really really go for it sometimes. You know, it's yeah. pretty crazy. Um, but but uh, actually, and we also try to help the community, and and we do charity things. And uh, just uh, recently, we did a, a benefit for Ukraine. Um, and the World Central Kitchen, and we raised thousands of dollars for them. And there was actually a family that just had their home bombed out, and they just got relocated to Los Angeles. We had them as guests. Wow. 
wow. and they, they came up on stage and the dad talked to the crowd and then their little seven-year-old sang we are the world oh wow oh, that's, cool. that's so neat yeah. man boy that's world-changing stuff right there that's why we do what we do you know the music, yeah. the music stuff's fun but what's so cool is a guy like you gets gets a platform that uh you know, and you can well, use that platform for good, and obviously you're doing that. Well, that's what I'm trying. Well, the idea of the Ultimate Jam that really was about connecting musicians, bringing people together that might not have seen each other in a while and played together. For instance, um, Sugarfoot Moffat, the drummer, and Greg Wright, a guitar player, did the the Michael Jackson Thriller tour mm-hmm. years ago. They haven't played together since, and I got a hold of them and go, "Hey, you guys should come and do this thing, and it'll be great." You haven't played together. Things like that are always great to do, and I like to take a young player that's that's fresh that I think is really good and throw them in the deep end with some pros and watch them grow. And that's really rewarding. That's great, man. Do you have any uh, plans or hopes of taking your solo album and turning it into something where you take a band out on the road and do some live shows with the material? In my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, the, the fact is, if you listen to this album top to bottom, you will find that it's super cinematic. It's very deep. Uh, it's similar to like the way how deep a Pink Floyd record is. Yes. And I would need Roger Waters' budget to really pull off the kind of immersive, <laughs> immersive experience that I would envision for this music. I mean, I possibly could do like maybe Throwing Stones, Army Me, a couple uh, more stripped down and then add, do some songs from my past. Right. But to represent this album properly, I, you know, if there's maybe if there's a man I could try to figure it out, but but uh, to really do it right the way I would want to do it would would take some good backing. I a think and a lot of musicians. Yeah. I mean, once one of my songs, I have five guitar players on it. Right. There you, go. you know. Now you could I've do what some steel fly guitar and, but, you know you could do what some of us lower budget local musicians do, and you could track all that stuff. And, and well, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I, yeah, I no, I've seen. I mean. There's a lot of bands that go oh, out absolutely. That's the, tracks that's the and, 2000s for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of that. I don't know. I mean, a lot of the instrumentation is acoustic guitars and pedal steel and right. lap steel. And in fact, I have a Celtic piece on there where I have fiddle and Bahrain. Right. And wow. I have three drummers playing. So you felt drum. gratification just recording it all and getting it. Well, yeah, you know, and, and like I said, I wasn't planning on a solo record. Sure. I just was writing songs. And music that I like, that I want to hear, right? In different styles, I like I like a lot of different styles of music, and I've done a lot of different styles. So that it's a, I, the answer to the question is that you never know because you weren't planning on making an album, so there's right. no tour plan. So you know, I, you know what? I would love to go blow people's minds with this. <laughs> oh. Trust me, there's some amazing performances on this record by these guys, and I mean they're friends of mine, but some of the best guys in the business are playing on this, and they just did their own thing. So, dude, this is what I'm, I kind of get. I go, well, I kind of want a Jeff Beck uh, going out and Holsworth kind of thing. Sure. And they would give it to me. You know, sure. it, it's fantastic. And the singers on this, every one of them is great. You know, so let me, let me ask you a kind of a gear question. The three of us are musicians, so we like to kind of oh, nerd okay. out on gear stuff sometimes. One thing that I absolutely love, I mean, I love weight of, the Weight of Silence. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. When Thank I saw you. that you were playing a fretless bass, I got really excited because those are if those are played properly they are absolutely beautiful it's a beautiful instrument and um to share with you on the record something that i i did which is i guess it's unusual a lot of times when you hear uh songs though when you're going from a a chorus to the next verse there's a little musical passage Mm -hmm. and here's a guitar solo thing right 
Right. I did it on fretless bass, and I have harmony fretless basses. That's I have cool. some songs with three basses on. Wow. Um, you know, for just for effect, there's a um, a song on there, uh, "Time Waits for No One." When it goes to the chorus, there's this really beautiful melody going on underneath the vocal melody, and that's all fretless bass that I'm doing four string bass underneath it. And sometimes I reinforce the low note with an eight string bass. Um, that's cool. Yeah. So it's it's like I said, it's pretty elaborate what's going on. I'm glad you pointed out oh, the fretless beautiful. bass. I how have long a, have you uh, played fretless? Because and how uh, long did it take you to master it? Because anybody who's messed with it knows that if you're not exactly on, you're sharp or flat. I mean, there's yeah. No you, were, it's a, you know what? I think fretless bass is a feel instrument. Yeah. The only thing is, is I got to keep my my eyes on my fingers. Sure. I can't be dipping off. It's a definitely gotta, a different play than I. No, I'm a bass yeah. player too. And first off, uh, yeah. I wanna, let me ask you. How are your fingers after all the years of playing? Do you have any joint pain or any kind no, of? No, no, I'm fine. There's okay. a there's an exercise that I a chiropractor told me to do, that that really really helps um, before share I play. That. Share it, huh? Share that advice. Well, basically, I don't know if you can see me here, yeah. but you gotta you gotta put. Let's say okay, I'm gonna just do one arm, but you gotta put your arm back as far as you can, like this. Can you see my arm? Yep. And then. Tighten it up like that, and then spin it around. Oh wow! For a while, to just, do that. just keep spinning, both at the same time. Okay. And that, what that does is that warms up the joint, the the muscles in here, and makes your hands a lot. Right. And I also um, will run warm water over my joints and my fingers before I play. Do you have Do you have an extensive bass collection? No, actually, I don't. Um, I I like certain instruments, and I mean, I for instance, my favorite live bass is my fender bass there you go um and that one i searched for three months um for the right bass and i found i kept going back to guitar center actually of all places and i'm going to these rare guitar places and i keep kept playing this one bass going man i love this bass so much it's just there's something about it and then they put it back up on the rack and i go i'm going to come back you know we'll see and i hope it's still there right so i came back i decided to buy the bass and they pulled it down and i started playing i go this isn't the same bass it looked identical. You could feel but I it. it. You could I took a photo it. of the serial number. It was not the same base. Ah, there you go. They said, oh, you know what? I think your friend that works here put it in the back, so I don't even buy it. Oh, he had a feeling oh, you were going to come back. So that's how I ended up with that. Um, for for the more aggressive metal, hard rock records, I have my Spectre that I got in 1985. Oh, that's cool. And I think, I have, I think I've done at least 90 albums with that base. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Wow. And you know, and I, I actually talked Ted Nugent into into um, fretless on a song on his album that I did. Wow! And I'm you, a finger player, you know, I, and I kind of insist on that. But he made me use a pick. And, well, and in, the, in the studio, as a studio, it always sounds crisper with a pick. I mean, I, I'm like that too. I use my fingers. But... You know what? It it all depends on your approach and how you play it. If you play a little bit further back yeah. on, on the bass, and if you have really strong hands and aggressive, I can make a bass sound as as spot on and as aggressive as, as a pick right on. studio um it, it can be done my license plate says no picks <laughs> oh sweet fans yes. ask me for picks at every show and i said did you see me play i use my fingers right gotcha. so i got tired of that i went and got picks made that say i don't use a pick that's hilarious nice. yeah. and, nice. it, and it says my name on it but it says i don't use a pick here's the pick <laughs> i used to play with a guy he, he was just like you and, and on his bass strap he had a little button and it had a picture of a pick with the red circle and the line through it right so, well there are cases where you might really need to use one but i try i try to it's it's a feel thing for me a picture sure. makes everything sound a little bit stiffer and more on 
and you, you can't just dig into the note and place it in the right spot. Mm-hmm. It's so important um, for any bass players listening out there, when you're building your bass part, use everything. I mean, obviously you want to lock with the drums and be straight on with it, but listen to the vocal melody and any passing notes you do, complement that and know that, you know, when the, when the, what the guitar chords are, know that the notes that you want to play within those, those changes in the chords, you, you really need everything. And a good example, um, both one of my favorite bass players is Pino Palladino and Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. They both would do the final bass last hmm. after all the music's there to build their parts over, which wow. I've had to make records when I, ha- I don't have a vocal melody or guitar solo or anything else. It's just basic tracks. And I really don't like doing albums like that, but I have because it doesn't give me enough to work with. Right. So tell us what you have on the docket this summer. What are you going to be, uh, what are your summer activities going to consist of? Well, uh, <laughs> right now it's getting in front of people like you and trying to get the word out on my album because it just came out and I really want to share it with everybody. But um, I'm doing Ultimate Jam Night uh, this coming Tuesday. It's, it's NAM is in town, which is the National Association of Music Merchants. Mm-hmm. So it's like a NAM after party because NAM ends and then we're having our show and it's also Prince's birthday. So in the middle of the show, we're doing a bunch of Prince tunes. Um, so I do that every other Tuesday and it takes a lot of time to, I also do a lot of the design work. So it takes a lot of time to design the stuff, decide on the show, start start lining up the right musicians for that, that show. So that takes a lot of time. Sure. I am going to Europe um, July 2nd, I think. I mean, for Europe to go play with the uh, Legends of Classic Rock. Cool. I don't know if I, did I mention that or not? I don't know. You remember. did. You didn't go into great detail about yeah, it. Yeah, it's 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 uh Greg D'Angelo from uh White Lion, the yes. original, and it's Terry Luce from Great White. Cool. Yeah, I think I did mention those guys. Anyway, so we're doing some shows um in July and um I, and I'm doing this album, uh that Frontiers um has put forth for me. And that's you know, I've got a I'll be busy this summer, no doubt about it. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's cool. You know, there were some hard times when you were with uh, Quiet Riot, you know, the passing of Kevin. Yeah, I never thought it'd be a pole bearer, that's for sure, Mm. you know. Yeah, the passing of Frankie. Yeah. Where were you when you heard the news of Kevin and the same with Frankie? Where was I? I, Well, I... Did you get a phone call? I I got, well, with Kevin, I got a phone call from a friend that lived near him and said, check have you talked to Kevin today? I go, no. Um, they go, well, there's, there's an ambulance in front of his house and a lot of commotion going on over there. And then, so I went to pick, I hung up the phone and I went to call Frankie and he had called me and I said, Hey Frankie, do you know what's going on with Kevin? He goes, he's gone. Mm. I go, what do you mean? He's gone. I mean, he's gone. I go, no way. And he said, yeah, he's, he's gone. He's gone. God. Oh, well, yeah, that was the end of that. The first call I got though after that was from Mark Slaughter, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Nice to reach out. With Frankie, I was just expecting it. Like Kevin was a total shock because I'd just seen him and he's amazing health. Right. I was like working out and singing better than ever. Right. And it was kind of a shock. I didn't realize he actually just did small elements of, of bad things. Yes. You know, it wasn't like he did a bunch of cocaine one night and just died. It was right. A, a bad mixture of right. things um with frankie was it was kind of expected because he, he was getting worse and and um 
But still, when I got the call, it was devastating. And I wrote that song, um, See You on the Other Side, mm-hmm. all in one time, just after getting that call. Because it reminded me of all the loss, you know, my mom and all, seven of my best friends, like Pat Torpy, John Purnell, other people, uh, Janie Lane, diff- just different people that I knew that were no longer with us anymore, you know? Yeah. So, Chuck, did, did Rudy coming back and you stepping out did, did that blindside you or did you see it coming um you know i i honestly i'm really not supposed to even talk about any of that stuff but okay. uh, i mean i was told don't talk, you know but uh did it surprise me no um it's happened three or four times maybe you know before so it, it didn't surprise me at all honestly and and truthfully it couldn't have come at a better time for me because I was finishing up this record right. and we I'd been on the road since 2011, Whew. like constantly. Right. Like, and I was just burnt. Yeah. So I was ready for a break from it, honestly. So it, to me, it was welcome. I mean, when I got the call, I go, well, you're doing me a favor because if I keep doing this kind of schedule, it's going to kill me. Sure. <laughs> you yeah, know, because sure. it was pretty brutal. I mean, we were like taking, you know, red eye flights and, and no sleep ever. I was just, it was pretty brutal. Yeah. And it's still like that. I saw their schedule, and, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I'm uh, at home, and uh, and working this, and yeah. So it's all good for me. Yeah, that's excellent news. You know, the two yeah. albums that you put out with uh, James Durbin on vocals, I you know I really love the album Road Rage. Um, I thought that was a really killer album. Um, great well, singer. Yeah, he was great. Um, I had absolutely nothing to do with those records. Um, except for playing bass on them. I was given music without vocals, without anything, and just play bass. So I, I really never talked too much about those two albums because I don't really feel like they represent me mm-hmm. as a musician or they really, even I'm, I'm glad you like that Road Rage record. I think a lot of that is due to James Durbin being able to take songs, music that he was given um, in its form, and he had to take that form and create a song around it. It wasn't like, you sit down with the guitar and you go, oh, I'm going to go to this chord. No, that one doesn't work for this vocal. Let's go here. He actually wrote some really great parts over existing music. So um, that's kind of how that came together. You know, it kind of reminds me of the new singer uh, that Skid Row has now. Mm. You know, they kind of have that same kind of style. Yeah. Which one? They have a new one now. They have Andrew now. Yeah. That one, I think yeah. That one you yeah he's a young guy. He looks like he could be one of their children. Oh, Andrew Freeman? Oh. He does look young, doesn't he? I actually, I did a gig with him in Panama, of all places. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's a really nice guy, really good on stage and great, really sweetheart. And I'm happy for him that he's got, I mean, he's in like three bands, I think. I don't know. Wow. He's like, that, the, one of the hardest things to find, I got to tell you, is a really good male lead vocalist. Yes. Yeah. It's really tough. I mean, look at all the singers we tried to find for Quiet Riot. Um Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's not an easy thing. I mean, even doing Ultimate Jam Night, that's the hardest thing to find. Right. There's a lot of great female singers, but uh, finding the male guy, the right one, is tough. So after Kevin gets fired, you leave. They come out with, they put Paul Shorantino on there on vocals, and they call it, what, QR. What was your, what was your opinion of that album? Did you like it? Was it okay? Well, my opinion is, is I think they should have called it something else. Right. I don't. I and I know they had that option, but I think that, that it would have diminished the, uh, the the funding for what they were doing quite a bit if they weren't quite right. So I think they kind of just continue on with that. 
um is that they only did two shows i think live um, wow but um i think it's something like that it's really low and sean McNabb's a bass player and he's he's a very good friend of mine and i call him my shadow because he's been in seven bands that i've been in so wow, wow. Well, you know it's weird by this Montrose. time by uh, this by this time all you guys know each other and all the it's like uh, they've all mi- been mixed and matched and you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, Everybody it's, it's from, like, in a way, isn't LA it? Guns yeah. has been in Rat and Rat guys have been yeah. in, you know what I mean? So it's, but well, listen, yeah. you, were in, you were in LA at a really groundbreaking and I- iconic time, like the late yeah. 70s, cross, like in the early, you know, that 1980, the skinny ties come out and the knacks popular. And uh, so I, I just want to hear about, you know, your memories of, you, were you in the clubs watching Quiet Riot with the Randy Rose? I did. I, I actually, uh, I did see them, and I thought that through how good of a player Randy Rhodes was, I thought he was dressed kind of funny with the bow tie and the, the vest. Tie, yeah. I think it's because he was a, um, a fan of Mick Ronson of David Bowie, possibly. Yeah, uh-huh. That's who you reminded me of. I thought they were good. I wasn't that impressed with the rhythm section, but I thought Kevin was great. In fact, Kevin came out and sang with my band a couple songs. Um, I saw Van Halen back then. And, and there was right. 30 people there in the crowd. Wow. And I remember my exact thoughts were, this singer is ripping off Jim Dandy. Right. <laughs> right. He is being Jim Dandy, even the hot man <laughs> thing. Every little thing he's doing, he's copying. <laughs> so that kind of turned me off to them because I knew I knew uh, Black Oak, Arkansas, because my sister actually, who's older, was like four or five years. Now, did so Eddie Van Halen really turn his back to the crowd when he, when he, when he didn't want people to see how he was doing things? No, I, I didn't see that. Yeah, he was. I thought he was amazing. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, he's he's why I thought the band. I go, wow, this band. I actually thought the bass player was pretty good, um, and uh, and the drummer was pretty good. They were. I thought they were a good band. It's just that I was so distracted by David, sure, not being being Jim Dandy that it, it uh, bummed me out. <laughs> But right. you know what's weird? They said that the three big guitar players—it was Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes—and I was I always found that interesting that the, the, George Lynch was considered the third in line of yeah. those guys. Yeah, I, I would say so in those days that George was 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 one of the main guys. I can't remember the name of his band back then, um, and I remember Dawkins was playing out and um, all that was going on at that time. And then Ingve Ing- gets shipped there by Mike Varney. <laughs> yeah, well. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> hey, ben, I want to go back to the documentary real quick. Um, you okay. said you were the comic relief in there. That this particular memory I have of, of a, a scene in there where a kid's getting his Quiet Riot CD signed, and oh, yeah. he pulls it back from you, and you're like, "Wait a minute, no, I recorded on that," and he didn't believe you. Does that to this day drive you crazy that you don't well, get the credit? Yeah, you, you know, one 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 guy, one interview, he said, "How do you feel about?" Rudy's greatest contribution to Quiet Riot being your bass track on mental health. So um, it, it's one of those things, you know, people don't read the, the fine print, you know. Right. So it, it is what it is. And um, I'm just happy that I was a part of, uh, I feel, even if it's a, as a, um, a side note, um, part of music history, you know, with that album, because it did change everything. Yeah, yeah. undoubtedly. Honestly, you've done a lot of cool shit. So I don't, there's nothing to be... Nothing no. at all to be, you know, well, sad about. Nope. No, I'm very, I'm not sad about it at all. No, of course I, I not. Blessed. You don't seem like it at all. No. No, I feel very blessed that that um, I'm still going. First of all, sure. and sure. and uh, and having this great opportunity to do my own thing. Finally, after 40 years of doing this, I, I finally have my own 
um, record out. I mean, I, I've been a writer, composer on other in other bands. The QR Three, I'm a writer on everything. The Quiet Riot Three album, um, and the House of Lords record, I was the main writer on those records. And um, you know, so now I'm just doing doing my own things. Really satisfying, rewarding, and the, the kind of response I've been getting by everybody, everybody I've talked to, it's it's all been super positive and and that's great. So yeah, I'm in a very good spot, very you good bet. place. I want to ask you real quick, we're, we're, this hour has gone fast. We're going to start wrapping things up. I've got another okay. viewer question for you. But before I get to that, I, I, there's one guy you worked with that I don't know how many people know who this is, but I know who it is. Tell us briefly your experience working with Ken Tamplin. Oh, Ken's a great singer. I mean, he's he's like, he's a teacher and he's doing really well at teaching. I think he moved he moved to Hawaii. Um I actually started doing an album with him when I was with House of Lords. It's after Lanny had left and we House of Lords started working with Doug Aldridge and Ken, Mary and I were doing uh, this record with Lanny and Ken Tamplin and um, Gene Simmons gave us a call and said, you guys cannot do that record. I don't want you playing on somebody else's record. I don't want to have you guys distracted. I don't want people to be distracted by what you're doing. So anyway, that was unfortunate because you know, it was going to be a great record, and it is. I've heard it, and uh, and uh, but that's the business sometimes, you know. My yeah. goodness, yeah. I remember him. I I listened to. I was heavily involved in the, the Christian music scene, and I remember Ken Tamplin putting some Christian albums back then. And so the I, just, 90s, I had to ask you about that. The '90s, I did a lot of uh, music for the Christian market, and that's the two reggae records. Uh, reggae worship are, if you can imagine, Christian reggae records. We did two of those. <laughs> We did a Christian uh, um, project called Symbiotica, which is ambient trance. Right. When that was in right. Vogue for a while there, and um, and we did a couple Magdalene records. We have a very interesting version of War Pigs that you should check out. Oh wow! It, it kind of sounds like Sting and Marvin Gaye got together and did a Black Sabbath song. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very different. Uh, and Chaos is the Poetry is one of my favorite albums that we did in that market too. Um, during the nineties, that's, I was, Lanny was real deep into that, that whole market. And Ken Mary actually is a, a dove award winner, uh, which is like the equivalent to the Grammy, yes. um, in the Christian market. He's, he's gone on to be uh, a major producer engineer in that market. Well, we'll have wow. to check all that stuff yeah. out here. Here's a, you, know, a viewer, you go ahead, Scott, yeah, and I've got a viewer well, question. You know, we, we've had, um, Rudy Sarzo on our show. We've had, um, Alex on here. And as well as we've had twice, we've had Jizzy Pearl. I wanted to know, and Jizzy Pearl's a trip, and and his books are yeah. way <laughs> his out books there. are crazy, but they're good. What, what was your relationship, or should I say, what is your relationship with uh, Jizzy Pearl like? Jizzy, he's very unique. Um, he's kind of sardonic and dark. Um, I've seen him smile once, and, <laughs> and that was at his wedding. And his wedding was at a nightclub and he had clockwork orange on the screens. So, oh, wow. yeah, which is, and he was married, you know, it's very, uh, he's, he's very unique. Mm -hmm. Um, and don't, don't forget he crucified himself on the Hollywood side. That's right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we got along great. I mean, I, you know, always, and he's a lot of fun on stage and, and, um, you know, yeah, we got along great. I actually did a tour. Um, it was called the, um, dizzy jizzy tour. <laughs> and it was um we did a set of love hate with with um jizzy and then we did a set with dizzy reed 
um, doing Guns N' Roses and some other songs, and that was with Alex on guitar. Yeah, the Dizzy Chizzy Tour. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. So our viewer, Timothy Kirk, he says, I joined in late, but did he talk about who his influences were growing up? I don't think we got into that. Who were your influences when you were growing up? Well, I, as far as bass players go, they pretty much all start with the letter J, which um, my very first bass player I got into was Jack Bruce, which I'm glad I did because that kind of taught me how to improv because you, I remember doing Spoonful for like 20 minutes, you know, and because of Cream and that music, it changed my life because at that time I'd been in military school for like almost nine years and was going to go to the Air Force Academy and I became totally into rock and roll. I mean, I made... My first gig, I drank beer. I made 75 bucks. The girls thought I was cute. So this I said, is, this is the life. This is what I want to do, mom. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't have a dad. So my mom, she, she supported me. And you know what? One of the most important moments for me in my life is having her a platinum record, you know, wow. Mm. with her name on it. But um, as far as influences, starting out, John Paul Jones, Led Zeppelin, yeah. John Entwistle, um, like I said, Jack Bruce. Um, and then I got into jazz fusion with Jacob Pastorius and Jeff Berlin. Nice. And then of course, James Paul McCartney. So they're all letter J, wow. you know, uh, <laughs> all of them and James Jamerson Motown stuff, you know? Yeah. And he, you know, you kind of love that without even knowing what was, how important the bass was when you listen to the Motown records. Right. Yeah. Mark Nelson in the chat room, he says, um, I was fortunate to get to speak with Jim Dandy on a couple of occasions. Nice guy, well aware that Dave Lee Roth copped his entire shtick, uh, didn't seem bothered by it. Imitation that's is good. the most sincere form of flattery. <laughs> yep, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, I see, I didn't know that. I didn't know what Jim thought of it because at that point I'd been out of touch. But during that time, um, what I was going to say is um, – my older sister, she's like four years older than me, almost five. She was dating the guitar player in the band oh, wow. uh, when they were trying to get signed, Black Oak Arkansas. And I remember writing the guitar player. I can't remember his name right now. It's all slipped my mind. But um, he taught me how to sing harmony, driving down in the street. I, I was singing along. He goes, you know how to sing harmony? I go, no. And he goes, okay, just go a third above. One, three, five, three, one, one, three. So there's your note, three. And that's how I started learning wow. how to sing. Yeah, from, from that. But that's why, because I was, I saw Black Oak Arkansas so many times um, because my sister was their friends and I'd go to their gigs locally. That's why when I saw David Lee Roth, it was like, what? <laughs> you know? That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, hey, Chuck, we'll start wrapping it up. I want to make okay. sure that we drive home to the viewers uh, to check out your new album. I'll put the album cover back up here one more time. This is Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky, and you guys need to pick this up. Again, this is a... Uh, an amazing album that features more than 40 guest performers and Chuck's put his heart and soul into this. You can, you can check it out. Can they get it off of your website at chuckwright.com? Um, you can go to my website and there are links to get it. Okay. Um, I tell people, Hey, if you're, if you're, a, um, if you want a hard copy of it, which I encourage um, uh, mainly the album covers. So killer was done by Glenn Wexler, who has done Van, two Van Halen covers and kiss and, Deep Purple and on and on and on, all these different, and he's one of my best friends and heard the record as I was building it, right. as I was recording the music, and then he said, hey, can I do your cover? So that's why, but you can go to Amazon and save the shipping charges, or you can go to Cleopatra Records and get it, okay. and it's pretty much available, you know, the usual spots, Spotify has it, I, I don't know why, but the record labels throw up your music on YouTube right away. So anybody can just listen to it. So, right. but that's okay. I just really, for me, I just want people to hear it and experience it. And, um, 
you know, hopefully they'll find something there that they, they dig. Well, it is fantastic. And we just want to commend you for all that you're doing. Um, you know, that you are achieving so much success as a solo artist and you're doing lasting work like the relief for Ukraine and involved in, in, uh, uh, in work that really, really is very tangible and matters in the long run. And we appreciate you coming on with us. We appreciate your heart. You're obviously a very good guy who cares about his fellow man. And that's what the world needs more of right now. So we, we truly yeah. appreciate your time tonight. Chuck, Wright. Everybody go to chuckwright.com. Support Chuck in all his efforts. Thank you so much for coming on with Tulsa Music Definitely a pleasure Stream. speaking to you yes, tonight. Sir. Yeah, nice talking with you guys, too. Don't yeah. want to let you go off the Metal Health album is one of my favorite songs. On that that. Oh, dude. Song. Thanks, man. That's Yeah, that's my that's my bass. You can hear the difference yeah. in our style. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Chuck Wright, everybody. Right. Thank you so much. Have a great night. We'll, we'll talk you, to Chuck. you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks, Thanks for reading. Bye-bye. Great interview. Awesome. Is that okay? Great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Hope you guys enjoyed that too. He's very interesting. Got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Very much yeah. so. Very much so. Um, wow, very, that was great. Cool. That was great. Uh, you know, a lot of info. Sometimes you just think these guys just do one thing, and then you find out how much more they're involved in. And go go to chuckwright.com. I and get tired just you know hearing oh, all the, all the stuff that they have to do. Like, you know, I know you loves a bitch. Y'all can't see this, but here's his bio and he's got just all this other stuff. That's not even about quiet, riot. Yeah, so it's a lot of stuff. I mean, check him out. He's a good dude and he, he does good things. Um, and before we get off tonight, there's, we want to, uh, we'll talk about a couple different things. It's been a hard week here in Tulsa for us, for our community, for our music community. Um, one thing we want to, I want to put up on the screen, we have a brother in need and it's Travis Oles. And those of you, most of you out there probably know Travis. You're probably friends with Travis. He's been in a, a fixture in the Tulsa music scene for years and years and years. And Travis is currently battling cancer. And I know some of you know this and some of you don't, but, uh, the medical bills are piling up for Travis. And I spoke with him this week and we were going to have him on tonight, but he just wasn't feeling up to it. And I said, uh, how can people help you, Travis? And he said he's got a cash app set up. If if you guys can kick him a few bucks. Help you, him out, man. Uh, just cash app him at dollar sign Travis Oles. And the spelling is there on the screen. T-R-A-V-I-S-O-H-L-S. Um, anything you can do? Well, I know for a fact he's played a lot of benefits to help a lot of people that's out. That's right. So now it's time, you know, help a brother out. And, that's right. And help him out because, you know, that shit's not, not cheap at all. So if you got money you're throwing around, throw it his way, please. Yeah, yeah, every bit helps. He's a good brother. I told him, I actually talked to him before we came on the air tonight, and he just wasn't feeling strong enough tonight. I said, hey, we'll touch base in a little bit, uh, but I still want to get your story out there, so let me put that up one more time. Uh, cash app, dollar sign, Travis Oles. Help our brother out as he's battling cancer. I love it. And the other I very, very, very sad, difficult thing that happened is we lost our sister, Erica Jimenez. Many of you knew her from the Cimarron. Uh, she worked out there, was a sweet soul, and... Um, an evil person took her from us, and we trust that justice is going to prevail in that situation. But the important thing we want to drive home, there is a GoFundMe set up. If you guys will go to GoFundMe.com and do a search on the children of Erica Jimenez and contribute what you can. There's a goal of, I believe the goal said, I want to say is 10000 
uh, it just got kicked off today, and so let's all go in there and chip in a little bit of money. Uh, Good karma. I don't like the fact that karma. that last name has to stick with her. You know what? I We should change that I to Evans. That. I, I hate that, too. I know. I actually thought about referring to her as Erica Evans tonight. But, yeah, we should have uh, done that. But, right. but the GoFundMe was set up under the Jimenez name, unfortunately. But uh, we, we love her, and we remember her as Erica and uh, she will live in our hearts forever. I want to let you guys know Cimarron is in the process of putting together a benefit. Uh, we plan on, we we being rocket science, we plan on being involved with that. Uh, and I'm sure many of you uh, watching out there are going to be involved as well. We're going to come together for Erica and her family, and we're going to pull together. So be watching for details. I, I don't know if I should announce the date, but I can tell you that um, it looks like the benefit will be in early July. So be watching Cimarron Bar's Facebook page for more information on that. And one more time, go to GoFundMe, look for the children of Erica Jimenez, and contribute to her fund as well. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's with the shooting yesterday, Man, it's been a hard week. Senseless, man. senseless shit, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. But um, people need to get like their hearts together. We do. You know? We do. We do. You know, it's like we, we can all argue policy till the cows come home and no one's going to change their mind about policy. But what we can change is our hearts and what it takes is loving the fellow man around you and caring about others besides yourself. So if we can all learn to do that and be more giving and loving and patient with the people around us, our world will start to change. So again, as, as uh, the Tulsa Music Stream team, we want to send <clears throat> our love, thoughts, and prayers to everyone suffering this week. <clears throat> Excuse me, got phlegm in my throat. And um, I'm going to put, Teresa, I'm going to put you on screen. We haven't gotten to see you tonight. No, girl. There girl. is Teresa. Holla back. Holla back. What up? Boy, I need to lower the camera because because now it looks like you're sitting like no, I think way she looks above us. Like she's a DJ. Man, she's that's like fine. she's like up in the press. What box you spinning, there. girl? <laughs> I'm spinning my new TMS shirt. There you go. Now you can Disney get those merch. too. You can get those. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know what? Summertime. Shit, Shit is exactly. summer, summer time. Looking good. Heaven's easy. Looking good. She she is wearing it, and that, what a great time to segue to our sponsor, Identity Merch. If you too want to want an awesome looking uh, tank top like she's got, you can go to Tulsa Music Stream, and we have a link to our online store there at the top of the page. Pick up a T-shirt or a tank or a hoodie or long sleeve for next winter, and uh, we appreciate Todd Cook running that. Yep. Shout out to other sponsors, DEB Concerts, Psychomo Filmworks, Oki PC, GregShipman.com, and Surviving Rocklahoma. We really appreciate all the support behind our show. I'm trying to find us again. Here we are. Here we are. Here we go. So um, it's been a great night, great interview. Scott, you got anything? Uh, just, you know. Talk about some stuff. Oh, you got you know, I mind, can talk man. about all sorts of <laughs> shit. But Lay it on you us. You know, just, just guys, men just need to, like, chill with the whole abuse on women thing that's just bullshit and yeah, it just needs to stop stupid. and it, yeah. you know it both ways because of you know amber heard and all that you know I mean, just, yeah just right. and, and yeah. people need to like really to dissect each other before just jumping into quick marriages and and you know and then having it all tailspin within a couple of months like and, Dahmer dissect people you know just 
do some research on them, do some background checks, whatever it takes, you know, yeah, just to figure some people out before Car you facts. just jump right in there and then you don't know who you're with. And, and you know, that's yeah. all I, that's, you know, that's I know. all I got. I know. I don't but know. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. We all have probably made choices. We regret, I'm sure. But, um, but the bottom line is we do hope that you guys watching will just love one another, be patient with each other, be kind and caring and uh, giving because when we start seeing outside ourselves again that's when the world starts to change um we have this little platform here that we like to use we like to talk to artists we like to promote people but we also want to get good words out and so i hope we've given you some tonight given you encouragement and love and know that we love you guys we thank you for supporting all we do you guys got any words before we sign I off i think nine has some words it's 901 so it's perfect i just got one word peace amen Teresa? No, no, I don't. Nope. That's, <laughs> uh, that's probably a perfect way no, to don't. end. No, we don't have anything else now, do you? Okay. Well, we don't know when we're going to be back on because we haven't booked anybody else We do yet. both play live this Saturday night, though. Oh, oh really? Where are you at? I'm in Salem Springs at the Cherokee Casino. Wow. Oh. You are at the Lenny's. Hey, you get to enjoy the new... Um, uh, food court they have there. I'm quite looking forward <laughs> oh, to the new food you, court. Yeah, dude. you get your fifteen dollar uh, food voucher, and, okay, and you get okay. to use it wisely. Well, shit. Six, sixteen shit balls. Hey, there's a there's 16. a there's a bowl. It's a Mexican bowl, some kind of Mexican bowl at the Mexican place. Get that? Okay, I'm gonna remember you said that. Yeah. No, that's all I got. I think. Um, okay. You know. Well. Okay. Stay with, stay gold. And, yeah. yeah. You with, know? With see you guys at Lenny's this Saturday. And we'll be there. He'll see you at Asylum. I'll see you. I'll, see, I'll you see you people in Eastern Oklahoma and Western Arkansas. Okay. Come on, man. Please be safe and please be good to each other. We love you guys. We'll see you next time on Tulsa Music Stream. Goodbye. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>